Hi everybody and welcome to another Robcast and I am here with Ron Steef and uh, I'm honestly I love doing these Robcasts because when I'm interviewing somebody I kind of know where we're going to go and I kind of have no idea where we're going to go. Hey, and... it's great. I just know. I, I, I want to get a Ron cast, actually. That's what I want. <laughs> Until he has a Ron cast, okay. Ron will be on the Rob cast. And Ron is the national, is a director of the National Religious Campaign Against Torture. And yeah. I loved how he was just saying that torture, there's not a lot of room for laughing. Not a light topic. No, <laughs> not at all. But it was, it was interesting when I met you, how you, in the first 30 seconds that we were talking at this party that we met at, Ron was expanding, he expanded my definition. You expanded my definition of torture like instantly. Because I think torture, I think uh, there's a terrorist who's got a bomb and Jack Bauer from the show 24 has got a car battery hooked up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, that, that's but what people think of when they think of torture. Is there's an impending yeah. em right. emergency Something's going to happen to you. You need, some, you need to be made safe. And so the good guy is going to go... Find out extract. what is going to make you safe, extract information, right. and, and everybody's going to go home happy, and the person's going to go to jail who's going to blow the world up. Yeah. Right. That's what most people think of when they think of torture. And so you're the director of the National Religious Campaign against, so you're against torture across the board, which I sense. Tell us then how you understand torture and where we would see, where torture is happening that we wouldn't necessarily well, understand. Well, it's, it. a, it's a moral mandate, and it's really important that the faith community has come together nationally on this. This organization is about 10 years old, and we have our roots back to just after 9-11, when people didn't know what was going to happen in the world. The World Trade Center had just been bombed. People really were feeling very unsafe. A torture program was initiated by the CIA. And at that point, we realized that the United States had gone down a path that we hadn't gone on for a long time. And so since Did then, we have a history of torture? Well, the history of torture in this country goes back to slavery and even what happens with the Native Americans. But in terms of modern uh, like military history, yeah, yeah, that's what I was uh, torture was not done by the United States. Torturers were trained in other countries to torture, but the U.S. had not actually embarked on its own torture program. After 9-11, we set up secret prisons across the world. We uh, uh, renditioned people out of this country to other states that then tortured them. It was really a very, very uh, well sophisticated, not very well thought out, but sophisticated program of trying to extract information through torture. Which means you have to teach people how to torture. You have to. And the CIA actually hadn't uh, done its own torture, and they had to uh, bring in psychologists and others to come in and, and consult with them on how do they uh, torture. They brought contractors in. Uh, people who've been mercenaries in other parts of the uh, world and other campaigns to, to show them how to torture. And I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg of what was so wrong about this. So, so your taxes and my taxes and the Robcast listeners' taxes were used to fund government agencies that went and hired people to teach them how to better torture people. Yeah. Set up secret prisons in Poland, put razor I'm already wire pissed around. off, and we're like yeah. three, three minutes into the end. Yeah. Well, the, oh. the worst part about this is, the, uh, in my, my church, the United Church of Christ, our president was in Germany when the attacks happened on 9-11. The entire world had this outpouring of 
support and sympathy for the United States. And we don't get that, <laughs> as, as you might know. We don't get that kind of love from the, lot, world, from right, the world a lot. Right. And um, I know John was sending back, you know, things about the German churches were all praying for us. And I mean, you know, it was just worldwide. And we had this amazing opportunity to step into this role as a country and use this as an opportunity to really kind of unify people. And instead, we went, uh, we went the, the torture route. And so... Um, but the other part of it I want to I want to bring up is that that's the Jack Bauer stuff you see on Twenty Four. Right. Um, Are those programs still in place? I don't th- I don't think he I don't think they have another series. But if you look at oh no no I mean the um, not program the no. to- the, the tor- not the Twenty Four but the yeah. American government. No okay. So, Where are we now? So the American government, uh, the Obama administration put an executive order in place as soon as uh, he came into office. It was one of his campaign promises. He took the CIA out of the torture business in 2009. It was an executive order. That means it can be overturned by a future president. And literally since then, 2009, the faith communities have been working together to get a bill passed in Congress so that uh, getting the CIA out of torture isn't just subject to the whims of whatever president comes in, but it is part of U.S. law. And we are within a hair of achieving that. We've got mm. a good vote in the Senate. Senator McCain led the charge for us. Uh, he doesn't often uh, speak even as a torture survivor uh, that, that often, but he did here. He put all his cards on the table. The National Association of Evangelicals, the U.S. Catholic Conference of Bishops, all the faith community pushed, pushed, pushed. We got a, wow. a 78 to 21 vote in a Republican Senate to get uh, the CIA out of the business of torture. This happened uh, about three months ago. Now mm. it's uh, an amendment to a defense authorization bill uh, we're hoping that that bill will pass soon, and we think it will. And at that point, it is now a matter of U.S. law. We've overturned this, wow. this sordid history. And the importance of yeah. this is that if there were some terrorist attack or emergency, it needs to be a law so that you can't just instantly default to, let's just start torturing people. That's again. right. There's a new set of rules now. Got the it. CIA picks somebody up. They want to interrogate them. Uh, they have to report what they're doing, and they have to give the International Committee of the Red Cross access to that interrogation. And, and uh, uh, the International Committee on the Red Cross access means you cannot torture somebody. Okay, so the other night in a Republican presidential primary dog and pony show debate. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and one of the candidates was asked about torture. Yeah. And he said, I just about fell off my chair. He said, they said, what will you do about, about torture? And he said, well, I think you hire good people in the military and then you don't tie their hands behind their back. Uh, yeah, but, well. But, but actually, that is, that is ignorant of the fact that a law is in the works. A law is in the works, but it's also, it's also uh, symptomatic of this culture. Uh, believe it or not, after everything we're sitting here saying how horrible this is, and it is, it's immoral. If, if we were, for Catholics... This is a mortal sin. To torture somebody is a mortal, mortal sin. Now, I, I don't buy into this cosmology, but that's a ticket straight to hell if you conduct a mortal sin, if you torture somebody in the Catholic Church. It is. It's an intrinsic evil. Mm. So you've got this set of moral principles that have emerged that have 
claim that this is always immoral, no matter what the reason is. Uh, and that's true across the board for all the faith traditions. That's what our campaign uh, stands for. And then you've got a culture who sits there, oh, well, you know, gee, I guess you know, if, if it would make me safer, you know, gee, I sure hate to take all the options off the table for, you know, for these guys that are out there trying to keep me safe. I don't want to tie their hands behind yeah. their back. Yeah. You know, I, I want them to be able to, to get every last bit of information that's going to make me safe. People that, uh, half, half the people in this country actually uh, believe in, in torture from that framework. They say, I, yeah, you could, you could probably go ahead and torture that person if, if it's going to save a village or whatever. Uh, completely ignorant of the fact that, you know, as John McCain spoke, he said, um, I was tortured, and I can tell you right now that when you torture somebody, they'll tell you whatever you want to hear. They're not going to give you any information that you can act on. And that, that was that was the reason that we got such a great oh, vote interesting. in the Senate. He just, he just said torture actually doesn't work. Yeah, and the Senate Intelligence Committee report said torture doesn't work. Everything that everybody that studies torture says torture doesn't work. Torture is about states exerting their control and authority over populations. It's not about going out and getting information to keep you and me safe. Say more about that. Well, um, torture is... Uh, because everybody knows that torture doesn't extract useful information, the Senate... Does everybody know this? Like in the CIA? Yeah. No way! Yeah. They all know it doesn't work. They all know it doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, you just all you have to do is ask somebody who's been tortured, like Senator McCain or others, or ask psychologists who are there. Um, you literally will get led off the track uh, and, and, and uh, as, as often as you'll be put on the track. The way to get information out of people, I mean, we know this. The way to get information out of people is to sit down and talk with them, build relationships with them, find out what's going on the ground. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, it really is a way to exert your dominance. Uh, torture was used that way in slavery here in the U.S. Uh, it was used in the conquest of, the, of nations. I mean, it's been used that way a lot. Uh, this idea that, that we, we torture people to get information is kind of the, the fiction of, of uh, modern, modern media and television. But we buy into it. I mean, sadly, <laughs> half the people in this country still buy into that idea. And uh, obviously, as you said, debaters on a, on a national stage <laughs> running for office are saying the same thing. No, I, 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 will, I don't want to take any options off the table. I want to have the option to torture somebody if I have to. What I always found most disturbing about torture was not what it did to the person who was torturing, getting tortured. It was to the person doing the torturing. Well, yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? No, that, that is true. Like the Humane Society is a society about the treat, proper treatment of animals, yeah. but we call it the Humane Society because we know that how we treat animals is some sort of a reflection of how human we are. Yeah. Well, let me bring up another part of the torture that we work on, and this is domestically here in the U.S. Uh, about four years ago, the you know we're a coalition of about 320 faith organizations from around the country. Most of the national faith organizations are members: Baha'i, Sikhs, Jews, Muslims. Uh, Everybody Catholics, can agree on this. Everybody, Everybody comes agrees together on, this. on this. Well, about four years ago, we decided to turn our attention to uh, solitary confinement in U.S. prisons because that is a uh, uh, well-known uh, regime of torture 
According to the United Nations uh, Special Rapporteur on Torture, Juan Mendez, if you spend more than 15 days in isolated confinement, your brain actually starts to physically change in the same way as you know the kind of torture we've been talking really? about. What happens to people out in the field when they're being tortured by the CIA? The same exact thing happens. Now here, we're not talking about a few detainees that have been rounded up. We're talking about 80 to 100,000 people within the United States in our state prisons, in our jails, in our federal institutions, in every state. We have the same kind of torture happening in every uh, part of the but United States. But it's been institutionalized, institutionalized and accepted. Institutionalized, accepted um, by, by many, again, because this is the idea that you can deter people by threatening this kind of punishment. So the reason I wanted to switch over when you were talking about what it does to the uh, torturer the, uh, I don't know if uh, folks know this, the average lifespan of a correctional officer who works inside these prisons, and especially those on, that work in the solitary confinement wings, they die four years after they retire. That's, really? That's, what's, that's what they expect. They'll talk openly about it. In fact, I was just meeting with some correctional officers. They're trying to get the, the um, age of retirement lowered down to 50. I think it's 53 or 54. So at least they'll have eight years of retirement. They'll still die at 58. But and there's st the stats. There are stats. There's stats. This. Yeah. People who work in prisons die, have a lower life expectancy. They'll they'll tell you significantly. Significantly lower. To the point where they all talk about it openly. Yeah, they talk about it openly. They're they're trying to lower the the uh, retirement age. They know that they will not live. The guy I was with uh, was retiring at 54. He he basically knew that he had four more years to live. No way. And uh, it's the stress of being in that environment, the kinds of prisons that we've created. I mean, you know, forget about solitary confinement, which is the worst of the worst, because it's just high stress. It's where all the seriously, severely mental ill folks that were let out when, when uh, Ronald Reagan uh, cut back on mental health facilities, that's where they all ended up is in our prisons and then in, in uh, solitary confinement. There's incredible stress. You can't move somebody without, if they resist, you have to suit up and go in and pull them out. You hear the screams, you hear the horror uh, constantly in there. It's just, um, well, as, as this uh, correctional officer was saying, my job sucks. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and he was also saying my life sucks because this is what happens. But they work in these institutions. We're trying to change that. We're trying to get the folks, the eighty to 100,000 people, out of solitary confinement. And we're trying to do that, to do the prison reform in a way where everybody's going to benefit. Now, the community impact of this is the guards go home and... They take they, all that stress they and hit tension the bottle, with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Domestic violence. Um, so do you have data on towns where there's a prison and people who work in the prison who live in that town alcoholism abuse etc yeah yeah really there's, yeah there's data and and it's just it's just well known mm -hmm. that this is just one of the most high stress occupations and we have more people in prison than any other country yeah like we're off the charts yeah we're off the charts we have 25 percent of the prison population globally is in this country one quarter. One quarter of all people in prison in the world are in country are in in prison in this and, country. And we're like five percent of the world's population. Yeah, exactly. No way. Yeah, we have two point two million people in in prison here. Um, if you're African American, one out of six African American men will be in prison at some point in their life. 
one out of 30 people, the population as a whole, is under some form of correctional control in this country. Like one out of 30. Yeah, probation, whatever. It's, it is, uh, see, and I... We're not is, the land of the free. No, this is a system that finally people are waking up yes. and saying it, has, it, is a, it is an institution that has gotten completely out of control. Uh, the 1996 crime bill, which, by the way, was Clinton's bill, uh, mandatory minimums, that yes. whole tough-on-crime era, um, uh, criminalization of uh, drugs, yeah. this all has added up to one of the world's most uh, heinous, unfair, and sick institutions that exists anywhere. It's, it's sitting right here, and it's all around us. You know, we can drive to that. We can drive yeah. to it from here. Yeah. Uh, anybody can drive to it from where they're sitting. Okay, what, what happened with the American... I mean, I know we're, we're like 5% of the world's population. We have something like 43% of its weapons. Um, yeah. You have the number of people who are on some form of drugs prescription, let alone the drug war, which apparently we're losing... <laughs> Like, what, how do you think, and all the work that you do, what happened to this American dream? Because it's upside down in some big ways. Yeah, it's, it's very upside down. And uh, if folks have been watching the news, there's an article almost every day. The president came out again yesterday saying, we've got to do sentencing reform. We've got to solve this problem. We've yeah. got to take this problem on. And for our end of it, which is the solitary confinement end, which is where people spend not days, not weeks, not years, sometimes decades, in a six-by-nine cell, sometimes windowless, get let out of their cell one hour a day. Our campaign is to convince people, just like we were talking about earlier with the myth of the, the terrorists out yeah, there, yeah. convince people that this is not, these people aren't in there because they're the bad people and they need to be punished. Uh, almost 70% of them are nonviolent offenders. You don't put somebody in solitary confinement just because, you know, they went out and killed somebody on the prison yard. There's, there's two, 300 different rule violations that somebody can, can uh, do. You can be in California, this, this just got overturned in a lawsuit, but if somebody said that you were a member of a prison gang, you were automatically in solitary confinement at Pelican Bay for almost six years till they work through whether or not you really were a member of a prison gang. If just somebody said that, or if they found an Aztec drawing on your bed, you know, a lot of great art happens in prisons. And some, some corrections officer thought, wow, this person, that's a gang symbol. That's a, boom, you can go into solitary confinement. It could have been somebody that was, that was in for any number of things, never heard of a, a soul. And so uh -huh. these are not the worst of the worst. Because that's the image, is that you're in right. solitary confinement because you're going to kill another prisoner. Yeah, that or you're guard. the really bad guys and you deserve this punishment. That's not it at but all. there are people in solitary confinement for doing paintings yeah. or drawings. For doing paintings, for having too many pencils uh, on their, in their, uh, when they were in the general population, for saying the wrong thing to somebody, uh, for being identified as something that they aren't. Um, there's, there's an aspect of it where you do protective custody and you're always going to have to separate people inside a prison. But we're talking about long-term isolation, torture, long-term torture. That's what we're talking about that's happening in our prisons right now. And how do you change that? Well, so without, 
I, when I talk to, uh, there's heads of state corrections that are actually starting to change it. When I talk to them, I say, okay, look. And do they want to talk to you? They do. Do they know there's Within a problem? Within the last couple of years, they do. I can't believe that they want to talk to a group that is the, a campaign against torture. Because there's a little bit of defensiveness. Well, the about moment they that. have a meeting with you, that is like they <laughs> have uh, to sort of, at some level, concede the torture point. Well, we're meeting. Yeah, they're meeting with a group that calls it torture, and we're very upfront about that. But um, one of the, uh, the we did a public forum in Washington D.C. Actually, I was on a panel with uh, the head of the Washington State Corrections, the head of the Oregon State Corrections, head of New Mexico State Corrections. Um, all of them have instituted reforms that have gotten uh, 40, 50, 60 percent of their population started to move them out into the general population. Because I use a rule. There's about 70 percent in there that aren't so severely mentally ill, um, aren't in some sort of a state that they can't go right out into the general population. In fact, in Colorado, the, the head there said it's much lower than that. It's, it's, it's you know, there's more like about 10 percent that he would leave in there. Um, so yeah, that we, we have, and they have that kind of power. They have that kind of power. There's somebody who wakes up in the morning, they eat breakfast, they go to work and at work, they can decide whether this person spends the next 11 years in a dark windowless hole or whether this person is reading and going to class and living a different life. All they have to do is just change the policy. That's all it is. It's a policy decision that they have the authority to make. Now, Unbelievable. it really helps to have the backing of the governor. They're all appointees by their governors. And um, in uh, Colorado, what happened, unfortunately, is the uh, predecessor to the Rick Ramish, the current head of corrections, was, um, was killed in his home by someone who had been let straight out of solitary confinement out onto the streets, and the guy just hunted no him way. down and killed him. And He was responsible for having somebody in solitary confinement. Yeah, yeah. That person gets out of solitary yeah, and, confinement and, and, right back to the general population. The day he gets released, he's in solitary. The next day, he's out, which is something that happens a lot. And, this and he is just finds state. the address he of finds the guy the address who runs and he the goes prison and kills him. At his house. Yeah. And so the governor says... Instead of going the other way and saying, let's lock everybody up, we know that this person had serious mentally, mental issues. We never should have had a system that had him locked up in a little six-by-nine box one day and then put right out into the, general, into the public the next day. We should have been transitioning him out. We knew his sentence was going to be over. We should have done something different. It says, finish the job. Finish the job. Let's start. Let's start getting people transitioned. So yes. we're not just letting them straight out of solitary confinement onto the streets with severe mental uh, illness issues. But but so yeah, the reforms are happening. But the legislative process is is slow, and uh, we do have legislation in about half a dozen states that we're working on. We have a model bill in New York, a model bill in New Jersey. We do a lot of work just initially trying to. Uh, do bills that keep young kids out of solitary confinement. Um, so we work at all those different levels. And, and Wait, there are kids in solitary confinement? Yeah. yeah. No way. Yeah, that's part How of it. How old? Um, well, it depends. If, if, if it's in a juvenile detention uh, center, they can be 12, 13, in a city jail, 12, 13, 14 in years old. In this country, there are 12 country. and 13-year-olds yeah. in solitary confinement. Yeah. No, I, I've heard stories 
a young girl has a fight in school and you know how so many of the schools you know the first responders are now are now police which yeah. is, you know we could we could keep going with the problems it's yeah it, i mean it's deep because oh, there's fights at my boys school all the time right okay. down the street here yeah so so in some schools the first responder to a fight is is a police the police says okay uh, come here, and then the young woman acts out. I mean, she she told this story actually at a church in Los Angeles that we 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 had her at. I think she's she was in high school. Takes her down, you know. She does something. The cop says, "All right, this is not just sitting in the principal's office. You're gonna go down, and we're gonna we're gonna hold you down downtown." Acts out down there too, because she's like, "What are you What are you doing to me?" You know, screaming at him, yelling at him. Boom! Into a solitary, into into her own isolated little self, freezing cold, just with the clothes she had on at school, left in there. Uh, didn't know if her parents even knew where she was. Didn't know if the school knew where she was for you know almost like half a day, which is a long time for a young kid. To Terrifying, be, yeah, absolutely. Terrifying. Terrifying. So that that young woman, in the course of a day, is going to have scars that she carries with her for the rest of her life. And so, and that's actually why so many of the uh, prison suicides of youth actually do happen in solitary confinement because it just is a point where they just cannot handle it and they hit the stress levels. But the bills are, well, I'll, I'll give you an example of how upside down we still are. We've got great bills. Um, they're long-term campaigns. Um, California on, uh, our families in California like to talk about this one. On January 1st, uh, 2015 in California, you can no longer have chickens in little teeny cages. They have to have room to spread their arms out. They have to have room to walk around. They have to be free range. You can't have them in these little cages anymore. But you can still have people in the cages. I mean, we, pa we passed a, a proposition, I think it was Proposition 2 in California. Uh, chickens, we let chickens out of their solitary confinement cells. The people voted. For two years in a row, we can't even get a bill through the California state legislature that makes it uh, hard, or if not impossible, to put kids in solitary. Forget about everybody else. There, we're still putting kids in solitary because our bill that was carried uh, by uh, Senator uh, Leno in uh, Northern California for two years in a row um, has gotten killed in committee. In a democratic state legislature with a democratic governor, we can't even get a bill to keep kids out of solitary confinement. That bill got killed, but the chicken bill went through. The chicken bill, there was a pro proposition. Everybody voted for it. Let's get the chickens out of these horrible, torture, torturous cages. What? Because the chicken lobby? There's a... there's a. Oh, the chicken lobby lobbied big, against it. I mean, our, our, families right. say, our families say people care more about chickens in this state than they do about us. I, That's what they say. Th it just hurts my brain. What is the argument against getting 12 and 13-year-olds out of solitary confinement? I don't understand it's, why somebody would say, no, keep them in solitary yeah, confinement. Yeah, I mean, the, the prison lobby is big, fierce. It's, uh, it's hard to go up against when you're a state legislator. Sounds like they the NRA. have a lot of money. Yeah, they're they're, like they're, the they're 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 the NRA. They're state level. NRAs. What is the prison lobby? What would the why would why would the prison lobby be invested in twelve and thirteen year olds in solitary confinement? They don't want they don't want a, a chink in the armor. They actually uh, 
will say publicly, and it's very hard to get them to not say this, but I think I think they're starting to know this in their hearts, even after all the horrible demographics about how stressful it is in there, how early their folks die. What they will say is that they need to have the option of putting somebody in solitary confinement. So what we can say is, fine, separation without isolation. Mm-hmm. Put the bad apples that are threatening your officers, your staff, in solitary confinement. Leave them there if you have to, but don't keep them in there 23 hours a day. Let them out four or five days for programs. If they're severely mentally ill, uh, get them in and out for four or five days of programs. And and, and, uh, whatever it is, if you have to keep them in there, do programming, do staffing. Uh, You can actually hire people to do this inside the prison and you'll have more jobs. So we're not taking away that there are people that need to be separated at times. Uh, we're just saying stop Separate warehousing. Them in a humane yeah, way. Yeah, stop warehousing 100,000 people a year. Okay, so you, uh, so you wake up in the morning. One of the things I always find fascinating, Frederick Buechner has this line, it's always interesting why a person believes what they believe. And I, I, I find it fascinating how people end up doing what they're doing. And like even all the listeners to this podcast, all the fascinating things they do. You wake up in the morning and you go after torture. Yeah. That's what you do. That's what I do. And you're fighting this giant multi-headed beast and it's got lobbyists and money and entrenched. Yeah. How How do you rage against this machine um, cause you're like a, you're like a yeah. joyful, buoyant, well, sure. inspiring person. No, I mean, you, how you, do you keep going, um, against powers that are this entrenched and strong? You know, and, when, when, when you, when you sit with the families and you sit next to a mother, uh, whose son has been in one of these six by nine windowless boxes at Pelican Bay, 23 hours a day for 13 years straight, 13 years straight. He's been in there. And you see the pain in their face. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a motivator. Because you realize this pain is not necessary. This pain is a mistake. This pain is immoral. It's being caused by a society that knows how to do better. And for me, that motivates me. That motivates yeah. me that we can change this. Yeah. Um, working in Washington, is, Washington D.C. is absolutely frustrating. And, and some of the work at the state level is, too. Um, I probably haven't even told you the worst example. Uh, Shakar Amr, a guy who just got released from Guantanamo, just got released uh, about a week ago from Guantanamo. He's a, res- a British resident. Tony Blair, you know, the, the, a former administration, was campaigning for his release. In 2007, he was cleared for release by George Bush. George Bush was, was president. He, what was this man in prison for? He was accused of being a Taliban operative and then was found that he had nothing to do with the Taliban. So in 2007, he was found to have absolutely nothing to do with any terrorists, anything, anybody out there. He was cleared for release by President Bush. He has sat in Guantanamo until last week. No way. Yes. Eight years. Eight years. He sat in Guantanamo. There's been international campaigns. Sting was campaigning. The whole world knew that he had done nothing wrong, and yet our U.S. military uh, could not figure out what to do 
to release him and how to get him released and how to whether he was going to go to Saudi Arabia or where they were going to send him. He sat there that long. That, you know, you think if you're the president of the United States and you want to have credibility in the world, right. that's the last thing you would do is to have somebody who's already cleared for transfer, an international celebrity, uh, Tony Blair, then David Cameron, all the, you know, <laughs> everybody Everybody's in England like wants him out. They say, send him back here. And you still can't get the job done. Okay. It's so frustrating, um, the, 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 uh, the, the dysfunctionality. Uh, and meanwhile, every day, uh, he's, sitting in a nice, he's sitting in a cell. He's, he's in a solitary confinement okay. cell and being tortured. Because Obama yeah. said well, the first thing he would do, we have on the end mm-hmm. of Cuba a yeah. prison. Yes. And it's murky who's there and how they got there and why they're there. The uh, U.S. military runs this prison. Yes. Okay. So that's, so that's what we all sort of know about Guantanamo. Yeah. And Obama said he would shut Guantanamo down, got into office, but then wasn't able Campaign to. Campaign promise. Who, who is for Guantanamo? Well, it's... Like, where is the Guantanamo team? The, a lot of people uh, still believe that uh, Guantanamo holds dangerous people, that if you let them out, they will come right back and attack the United States. Now, nobody in there has a trial, so has had a trial. We don't know who would do anything or, or even what anybody did. We do know that of the 150 remaining detainees, half of them have been cleared for transfer. No way. They've already been cleared. They've been sitting there. A lot of them are Yemenis, and the, the whole state of Yemen has just collapsed. There, there yeah. essentially is no government. There's nowhere to send them there. Uh, Bolivia took a couple. Another country took a couple. Um, and... Uh, the rest are just sitting there. And Guantanamo is a giant stain on the American reputation around the world. It is. It Whenever I've traveled, people are like, everywhere. what are you doing? Yeah. Like when you talk with people in other settings about America, one of the many, many long list of things yeah. people have is they're like, what in the yeah. world are you doing having a prison in Cuba? There? Yeah. So, so I, I'm an optimist. If we tell enough people out there who care yeah. in the faith community, wherever, if we just let people know what's going on, Hopefully their outrage is going yeah. to translate into questions yeah. about what we're doing and is going to lead to to political solutions. How do we own a part of Cuba, by the way? It was a naval base that was set up before the revolution and uh, was defended during the revolution. Who in the military is powerful enough to keep something open that the, the president and uh, 500 well, million yeah. others want shut down? Well, in this case... Uh, Congress has been a bad actor, too. We have to fight every year Congress wanting to pass a bill that you, we can't transfer anybody out of Guantanamo. Even though they've been cleared, Congress still has these bills that we can't transfer anybody out. And, and luckily, we've been beating them every year. Um, but it's this, it's this weird, it, it, it's this rabbit hole of, of law. There's, there's no logic to any of this. Um, Is it fear? Is it just fear? It's Is fear. it just keep us safe at all costs? If it's we have fear. to violate all sense yes. of morals and propriety and ethics. Yeah. Well, and Mitt Romney wanted to double the size of Guantanamo when he was running uh, against Lord. Obama because he thought, you know, hey, we need a place where we can round terrorists up or people that are suspected. We need we need a place to put them. You know, where are we going to put them? Uh, and uh, so they still th- they they still th- see this as like their prison on terror, even though we haven't used that for new detainees for years. 
My goodness, you got me all yeah. riled up. <laughs> but see, do you see how do you see how it's a policy issue? I mean, that's the thing we've got. We've got. That's why we're in Washington D.C. We've got to figure out these policy pieces, and with solitary confinement, that's why we're working in the states. Uh, either you get administrative policy from the corrections officials, or like in Obama's case, you got administrative policy to shut down the CIA prison, secret prisons, or you get the legislative bodies, or you get people to do. Uh, referendums. Uh, we are campaigning at all these different levels, and um, you know we're ha like I said, we're having some we're having some wins here and there. Uh, we may have the big win on the CIA torture issue. Mm -hmm. We 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 are getting people uh, released. Almost a thousand people will be released from Pelican Bay because the Center for Constitutional Rights sued them over the fact that you can't just torture somebody because somebody else said they were a member of a group that they may or may not be a yeah. member of. So um, I feel like the lawyers, the policy folks, the, the faith leaders that are out there talking about the moral mm -hmm. issues, uh, podcasters, you know, media person, pod, <laughs> podcast, no, everybody, that's it. Uh, it there, there's something happening. I'm, I'm going to a uh, conference that's being put together by the David Koch Institute, which uh, they, they're seriously conservative on almost every issue. Yeah, they are. The Koch brothers. Uh, but um, I'm going to go to this uh, meeting that uh, they're having because they have gotten really invested in sentencing reform. And they've also, uh, my push with them is I'm trying to get them to see that you shouldn't be torturing people with solitary confinement uh, as part of your work if you care about prisoners, you know. And so how, how much do you really care about prisoners? Can you go all the way with us? I'm going there. I'm going to be part of the conversation we're going to have on the moral and ethical issues on mass incarceration. Um, there's new players. There's new people waking up. And, uh, you know, we, we're, we're all yeah. talking about it out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, it's like a rising consciousness. And we're there to try to translate it into policy. That's what we do. And, and there's a bunch of other groups that do that, too, with us. And that... This is what's really interesting to me about how the world has actually changed, is there is this very emotional, passionate, let's change the world, let's change the world, let's, let's battle HIV AIDS in Sub-Saharan Africa, let's feed the hungry. But then when I've actually been with people who are changing the world, they have spreadsheets, yeah. and they have a... List of people they're calling on the phone. You know, I always say sure. revolutions need clipboards. Yeah, right. No, it's, I know. it's one thing to yeah. just sort of do this warm, fuzzy, let's yeah. stand up against injustice. But the people I know who actually are moving the needle on injustice, suffering, famine, disease, it's just pure undiluted slog. Yeah. No, it's it is. just going to meetings, calling, calling again, calling back, calling, getting another meeting. Right. No. Yeah, we had a we had a par, part of our campaign on the uh, uh, McCain Feinstein bill to uh, get the CIA out of torture was uh, the new head of the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, Richard Burr, was coming in. He's a North Carolina senator, and um, he'd never really been with us. In fact, he wanted to get all the documentation from the Senate Intelligence Committee report and return it back to the CIA, which means at that point, it's lost to history. Nobody has any of the access to background it, yeah. access. So we said, well, let's let's put out a uh, petition campaign in, with uh, evangelicals and, and Catholics in, in North Carolina and see what, what we can get. And we got 36,000 people to sign that petition. We got pastors to uh, come on, uh, you know, uh, be interviewed on the uh, in the newspaper, and, and one of the pastors was great. He said, "You know, uh, 
this this whole idea about torture, uh, you know, Jesus had a lot to say about how we treat our enemies. You know, mm -hmm. real common yeah. sense uh, theology. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but the the point is, we had thirty six thousand people. I, I I walked into his office, Burr's office in D.C. I dropped this huge stack of petitions on his desk, and 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 then uh, my uh, policy director was standing next to me, and he kind of leans over and he whispers, he says. The, their policy person just came out. This is no longer just the secretaries. He's going he's gonna to see this. <laughs> and so anyway, so, he saw, I mean, you know, he, right before the vote, he saw that 36,000 evangelicals and Catholics were saying, hey, we don't want you to be covering up torture. We don't want you to be hiding what the government does from us. You, that, <laughs> you know? that must be fun. It is. It is fun. <laughs> and he just, voted with us, too. Because he just because you can actually change things. You See, this is the things. thing about Washington: is everybody in Washington says how awful it is and how upside down it is and what a what a just giant hairball it is. But then you actually can change things. Yeah, yeah, and and the faith community gets credit for that in Washington too. Uh, you know, Senator McCain and his remarks on his bill, he read letters that we had provided from the National Association of Evangelicals. He read a letter from the U.S. Catholic Conference of Bishops. They want to be moral people and do the right thing believe it or not i mean i'm not one of those washington cynics although i see the craziest stuff as you can tell from this podcast i see the craziest stuff happening in washington that makes no sense but but they do want to be moral actors uh and they want mm -hmm. to do the right thing mm -hmm. um so uh they do what does this say to you about human nature you you've seen all of this humanity at its worst and yet you have some sort of I pick up like a like a conviction about the goodness. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're dealing with we're dealing with evil here when you talk about a system that puts people in these small boxes for 20 or 30 years about uh mm -hmm. hanging people from walls in uh, secret prisons mm -hmm. uh and that somebody somewhere is approving that. You know, so evil cannot be extracted from the human motives that authorize it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you cannot just say that evil is going to, is, is kind of like the, the dominant paradigm and, and, and you can't fight it. You've got to be able to say, these people, even though the act of torture is inherently evil, these people themselves are not inherently evil. And you have to believe that uh, in order to do this work. Fascinating. And is that shaped... Do you have some background or beliefs you brought into this work that shape that? Or is that just what you've picked up along the way? Well, part of it could be my personality. <laughs> I mean, you know, because I do, I, I, I but, but I, did, I did a lot of uh, training in nonviolence. I believe that that's central to the Christian message. I believe that's central to the message of Gandhi. I believe that's central to the message of King. I believe mm -hmm. that's central Absolutely. to the message of all religions. Absolutely. And to see the light in a, another human being. Uh, don't extinguish that light uh, in your own mind. They may be doing everything they can to extinguish their own light. I mean, sometimes that's what it seems like, but it's always still there. And you uphold it even if they aren't. Yeah, because we demand that they do that of, uh, of, of us. No matter if person someone is on death row, uh, I've heard eloquent testimony uh, from an exonerated member, uh, somebody who was on death row. They were exonerated. They spent 15 years on death row. We brought him into a Senate uh, hearing on solitary confinement. Oh my word! He said, he said I was sentenced to death for a murder or something. For, yeah, I was sentenced to death, 
but I wasn't sentenced to be tortured for 15 years while I was sitting on death row. And so what he was saying to the senators is that while I'm alive, I'm a person, and I demand respect as a person. I demand human dignity Mm -hmm. because I am still a person, Mm -hmm. regardless of what I may or may not have done or what I was accused of doing Mm -hmm. in the past. I am always a person as long as I'm on this earth. That's central to our faith traditions too. So if we are demanding that response from them toward the people that are being tortured, then then we have to also understand that uh, they deserve uh, uh, some some uh, you know they deserve to be treated as someone who has human dignity too. Even though you wonder sometimes when in the heck are they going to show it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it, it's a reciprocal. I mean, I just think it's a reciprocal law that all all religions have that, and we know that. And um, they're religious people. Why they and they read the same texts I did, why they don't think like me. Yeah, I don't know. I wish they did. Yeah, the right? great mystery of the universe. <laughs> you know, right, exactly. Why doesn't everybody get it like yeah, I do? Well, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. With a touch of arrogance thrown yeah, in. Right. Um, if you, just to wrap, to wrap up here, if I, if I would have met you 20, 30 years ago and said, oh, by the way, you know what you're going to be doing, you know, 20 or 30 years in the future. If you would have seen yourself doing this work, well, would you have seen yourself doing this? Well, I'll, I'll tell you something very interesting about that. I uh, I used to do a lot of uh, training of uh, organizations to advocate for values in economic justice and values in economic policy. And I would do this exercise where I would show the distribution of wealth in this country, mm-hmm. where like the top 0.1% right, has 22% yeah. and the bottom, you know. And so, you know, we'd have these we'd have these chairs and we'd show this this group has this much wealth and then here's sixty percent have ten percent of the wealth or whatever the figure was. There would quite often actually somebody would always come up to me and they'd say, What about the people that aren't that aren't in this picture? And I, and the ones that are in prison. Where are they? Where are they in this picture? And, you know, I'd I'd think about it because right, they don't have wealth. They're the the 2.2 million people, the 2.7 million children of prisoners. There are 2.7 million kids in America. Children whose parents are in prison. Yeah, in prison, right, exactly. They don't have any wealth. They don't even show up. Here we are showing how bad it is on the wealth scale, and they don't even show up in this picture. And people would come up to me afterwards and say, "Um, the people I'm working with, they're not even part of this picture. And, you know, it's something that would always kind of be in the back of my mind. It's like, you know, man. Uh, they're right. I mean, th- this is this is something that's out there. And uh, when I got the opportunity to take this position uh, two years ago, it was after kind of a year off between that work and trying to decide where I was going to go next. I couldn't believe it when uh, somebody got a hold of me and they wanted me to come and work on essentially people who are imprisoned, whether it's a CIA secret prison or Guantanamo or solitary confinement in the U.S., they wanted me to do full-time work on the torture that happens inside prisons. Wow. And I was like, yeah, I'm ready. I, here I am. I'm, I'm, at that, I'm, I'm at that point where I'm, I'm, de- I'm addressing that question that I heard for so many years. Fascinating. It's amazing to me how many people, when I ask them about why they're do- how they got to where they're doing, the seeds were planted earlier. Yeah. Like they go back and what they're doing now, there are all these little seeds that were planted earlier in the story that yeah. they at the time wouldn't have connected, and then all of a sudden... Then there it was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
Do um, anything? How can people get connected with you or the organization or anything? Is there anything else that people should know about this? Yeah, we uh, the National Religious Campaign Against Torture. You can all Google it. It's nearcat.org. N R C A T. dot org. We've got a good Facebook presence. Uh, people that get connected with us are, uh, you know, institutional members if they're members of congregations or organizations.、Mm-hmm. Uh, individuals, you get lots of emails. We have a new film that we just released that's free、oh, yeah. for everybody. You can stream it. Here we go,、yeah. breaking down the box. Yeah, it's a,、uh, it's a.、Uh, we really believe in putting free films out there so people can use them. It's a 41 minute. Uh, documentary, basically, with the voices of people that are in solitary confinement and their、Ooh. families, and a lot of this advocacy too.、Uh, we'll be releasing、uh, another short film in a couple of weeks, probably, just on where we think we stand now with the whole issue of、uh, CIA torture and what do、yeah. people need to be asking in this presidential election、yeah. of the candidates、yeah. around torture. So、uh, we have a very, we have a good, vibrant online. Uh, presence. We have about seventy-five thousand folks around the country that get our emails. We do targeted emails for state actions because we do a lot of work in the states.、Uh, when we have、Got、state it. events,、uh, it's a it's a、um, it's a good place to be. Yeah, for, yeah. For folks you go and speak. You go and speak places. Yeah, I do. And if people want to bring you in to unleash. All、yeah. of this on them. What? How do they track a hold of you? Yeah, they just do the organization. Yeah, just just go through the organization. Call the office. Fantastic. Ask for me. Uh, our uh, U.S. prison staffer goes around and speaks. Our person who works on the, the Guantanamo issue goes around and speaks.、Uh, I we, love it. We we do get around. We have got a lot of people in the states that will go out go around and speak to congregations too in our state campaigns. Man, I just you're. It's so inspiring, and I'm so inspired. People like you who are. Standing up and changing whole systems, and just doing the hard work—it's just so inspiring. Thank you. It's just so inspiring. So thanks for coming on the Robcast.、Um, we're cheering、hey, you on. Good to be here. All、yeah. right. I'm glad to be here. Thanks a lot. Grace and peace, everybody.